surfing industry is so well known for yeah, 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 nah, 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 nah. And he just went, this is what we're fucking doing. And welcome back to the Stab Cusp. This is Michael Saramella. In a little bit, I'm going to be joined by Stace Galbraith, my co-host. And we're going to talk about everything that happened at Bells. It was a wild event from a completely overperforming forecast. Some of the best surfing we've ever seen out there. And a mid-year cut that just it just keeps on giving, really. This whole conversation is pretty unbelievable. I know Stace actually got a chance to talk with Eric Logan at Bells while he was there. So some really interesting insights from Stace. And yeah, we basically are going to give our take. I know Buck and I talked about it a little bit last week on the drop, but we're going to go even deeper this week. And yeah, there's just so many things going on right now in professional serving. It's a really, really exciting time to be a fan. And especially if you're putting some money on it, like we are over at betonline.ag. They're a supporter of the podcast. And yeah, we're going to talk about some of our big wins and losses this week. So without further ado, let's hop in. This is Bells 2022. Welcome to the Stab Cusp. 100% wish I was still on the steps because it's the sickest comp in the world as far as being a natural amphitheater is concerned. Um, fantastic viewing down that way. I can imagine. Yeah, I, I tend to, like, when, whenever the Bells comp comes up in the season, I'm like, oh, okay, it's Bells. You know, like, one of those things that you got to kind of, like, tick the box, but never super excited about it. But that said, we came into this event with, like, a really bad forecast a lot of people saying that it was just going to be at Winky and whatnot, and we ended up scoring like really, really good Bell's Bowl for multiple, multiple days. I know the final didn't exactly live up to that, but for the days that it was on, I thought that the surfing was actually really exciting in and of itself. Like outside of all the interesting storylines, you know, the mid-year cuts and and whatnot around that, but yeah, the surfing itself to me was actually really, really impressive. This it year. was the perfect like high performance size for Bell's where you could actually see who has mastered the art of carving and and who who hasn't a hundred percent and it also like i know i always go back to this but there is that level of like huntington beachiness where you got to get your couple big turns out the back and then if you really want to make a wave count you got to like work this connection you know and there's so many different flavors that you can get like some people have a middle section that actually stands up a little bit and you can do a couple real turns through there and then slam the end section or some people are just kind of like hopping and trying to find that one little bit to just do one decent turn on the inside and I don't know it just like adds this little extra flavor to it where it's not just people doing a couple turns or just one big turn out the back or an air or whatever like every wave is exciting looks like the surfers are actually getting pretty spent physically which is pretty cool to watch and then they're also getting some help with the jet ski so it keeps the energy up so I don't know yeah I really really enjoyed this comp just from a sheer performance standpoint which I don't really ever expect from Bells. No, that's actually really good to hear. I expected you to come in, in guns blazing saying how, how rubbish it was. But no, you're right. It was, um, yeah, I think the perfect size to see, you know, everyone was still just riding their shortboards and it was it was uh, super entertaining from, from the stairs and then um, less entertaining on the computer, I thought. Uh, I was, I was, it was a good sort of experiment. I was like, no, nah, live surfing still is the sickest thing ever. Like, the webcast is amazing, especially if we get to watch it for free. Uh, but there's nothing like being being at the real thing, so that was cool. And with the forecast, like 
they have had the world's worst run of waves, um, you know, six months plus of just that easterly pattern wind, which you saw on the final day before it went nuking offshore. It actually went east for a little bit, which is just the absolute worst wind down there. That's like the summer onshore kind of wind. And I was thinking to myself, oh no, it, there's like three heats left to finish this comp and it's going to be east for the next week. But um, yeah, not to be that big north, uh, which is offshore front came through and, and, and made yeah Rincon look relatively fun, all things considered. But yeah, that forecast caught everyone off guard. Like every one of the local lads down there was like, yeah, we'd be lucky to get some heats run at the bowl. It'll all be at Winky. There was mad attempts to change fantasy surfer teams and whatnot. I towed my whole group chat into the world's biggest closeout and said that not one heat would run at the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, that said, both Harry Mann and myself called the men's winner, Felipe Toledo, not that we were exactly out on a very big limb, um, nor also, like, I mean, I think Harry said he picked him because it was going to be at Winky, but at the end of the day, you know that he can obviously surf just as well at the bowl or apparently at Rincon. <laughs> so that wasn't, um, yeah, it wasn't a huge leap, but it was still pretty cool to see that come through. And that definitely like added a layer for me as well. Like, again, this is like the first year that we've been able to do surf betting in the U S. And I think that that probably just adds to the whole, the whole excitement factor of watching a CT event as well. Like maybe that even bleeds into how I see the performance because I see somebody taking off on a wave and they need a six, five and they get a seven and it feels like a 10. Yeah. As long as you're, um, putting disclaimers at the start of every Facebook rant that you ever go on from this point on that you've got money on a certain heat, then yeah, that's exactly right. You do have skin in the game, so it makes it way more exciting. Um, but yeah, I think every blow up that you see on social media needs to have, a little asterisk next to it. Did you or did you not have money on that heat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of which, um, that brings up a couple of different heats that happen that have been, I guess you could say, controversial in this event. Uh, the first of which was Jordy Smith and Jack O'Baker. I'm sure you know the incident. Um, the non-interference call, Jordy has priority. Jacko is a little bit wider than him, and a wave comes through. Jordy looks at it, decides not pulls back jacko says okay cool i'll go and then in the last second you see jordy once he sees jacko making his move jordy changes his mind basically tries to run into jacko and i I guess kind of succeeds like i don't know if he physically touches him but it looked pretty darn close and the judges said no call even with jordy having priority they did not deem it an interference on jacko what were your thoughts on this one great call um Jacko should have been nowhere near him. However, I still think it was a great call. Um, I'm all for gamesmanship, but I can't say that Geordie Smith was committed to riding that wave. Uh, he was committed to the man, and I just that doesn't sit too well with me. Is the the shortest way I can put it. Yeah, I was I was pretty surprised. Like, I mean, I, I know Geordie is as like mentally tough a competitor as anyone on tour but this just seemed like a pretty low bar for him in my mind like I just like he clearly he was in trouble in that heat you know and he's not having the best year and I know that people you know make it was a quick game time decision right like it wasn't like he like planned this whole thing out but it just kind of fell into his lap and he said okay well if I can't beat him on surfing I'll just get him an interference and 
I just wonder if the call had gone his way, like how he really would have felt about that at the end of the day. You know, like, I mean, a, a heat win's a heat win, but especially with the mid-year cut coming up and he's not really on the chopping block. Jacko Baker is. I just, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to get into like too much ethical quandary necessarily, but I just, I do wonder how Jordy would have felt if he had gotten the interference called against Jacko and won the heat. He would have felt absolutely fine because you do that to your own mother on the CT. That's the mentality you have to have. But what I don't necessarily think is fine is the walk up the stairs, kind of have a chat with everyone about it, then go and have a chat to the judges about it. Like, I, I just would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that room because I think it's the right call and I just don't see... I can't see his point of view with a sort of, uh, you know, protest, as I guess you could put it. Like, it didn't work. The heat was done. If you wanted to ride that wave, I truly believe he could have ridden that wave. Uh, like, genuinely wanted to ride the wave and get a nine, I think he could have done that. So I just don't understand the... I want to go and talk to the judges. That's what kind of tips it over the line for me for being a little bit, really, come on. I think it's cool if he pulls it off because how you win a heat is how you win a heat. And if that rookie makes that mistake, 100% you take your chance and you do that for sure. Like, you know, these guys are at the top level. That's just how it goes. But to then go on and be like, oh, you know, I want to resurf or like whatever he said up there. I don't know what he said, but it didn't look too pleasant. And I just think that the, yeah, the call spot on. Yeah. Okay, cool. We're in agreement there. And <laughs> I was wondering, cause I had Jacko in that heat. So I didn't know if I was just seeing it that way. Yeah. Cause I, <laughs> again, I was tainted, uh, by financial upside potentially. Uh, but that was actually your pick. You told me to pick Jacko, uh, leading into the event. So thank you for that. Appreciate it. Mm. No, no worries. I saw Jacko, Callum, and Jauchianka out really shitty winky before the comp started, and I just looked at them all and I went, these guys aren't the best at the air, but they're just going so fast and attacking the lip. I thought no matter what, whether they end up at, you know, winky, small bells, or, or small rincon, I just thought, you know what, they've just got like this air of rookie mongrel about them that was like super impressive, which obviously, yeah... Jauchianka had that in spades and you know he's just having one of those years plenty of people have have gone before him and done similar surfing similar stuff and he's that guy for this year um on the chopping block not sure he'll make the cut and probably been the standout surfer maybe of the year well yeah I mean Fuck, that's a pretty heavy call. He's had two of the best heats of the year, that's for sure. He lost both of them, so... <laughs> I guess standout in the sense of surprise package. But for me, like, winning an event doesn't make you the standout surfer. Like, I think Ethan Ewing's probably right up there as well, and he hasn't won an event this year. Like, it's... Really? It, it, huh. Yeah. Ethan was kind of sleepy through this event. Nah, that's just bells. Like he was, he again. If you like, you look at the waves that he's riding and how he's getting scores. Like, no, that's why he got third. You know, it's not like an exciting wave, but he's making it look exciting. I don't know. Felipe and John made it look pretty exciting. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but I I expect that from them. I guess I'm surprised by Jiao, and that's what yeah, makes yeah, yeah. me. That's what makes me excited. Because right. well, I, I knew, I, I think he's got to be most improved. Like I watched him come through the QE, and he was doing none of that. Yeah, no, I mean, 
Yeah, let's. Uh, that heat against John, I watched it live, and that was absolutely incredible. I had money on Joao, and from the first opening little set where John got, I think John got like a high eight or something, and Joao might have gotten like a seven, I was like, oh man, like, and, and Joao surfed the shit out of that seven too. I was like, oh man, like, this is actually really unfortunate because no matter how hard Joao goes in this heat, John's just always going to be that one little notch ahead. And like for their ability level, Joao was surfing at like a 12 and John was probably surfing at like an eight. You know what I mean? And it was just so crazy to see somebody so locked in like Joao, but still just, it was just like Sisyphean, if you want to get into Greek mythology, like he just was, he just kept pushing that rock up the hill and it just, in the end, it was never going to matter, but I loved that he never quit. It was like in his mind, he he truly, truly believed that like a win was in within his grasp. And I guess if you look at the numbers, it wasn't out of his grasp, but like it just from the viewer's standpoint, it always felt like John could not be beaten in that heat. And that's the thing with the champs is that they do, they're like the teacher. They're just one lesson ahead of the student. and And they know, and that's what makes... You know, on the women's side, someone like Carissa Moore or, you know, whoever you want to pick, like, they're the champions for a reason. It's because they know when they get a surfer like that, obviously there's no easy heats. But like you said, the champs know that this young rookie, he's going to go out of body. So there's no warm-up wave. There's no, I'm just feeling my board. Like, it's it's straight into it. Because if you don't, you'll get caught sleeping and potentially end up like Geordie needing a nine with a minute to go, you know. So it's, um, you know, it's it's a credit to John and, and how, like, how locked in he is. Because I think that's that's the one thing about the best. They just, they do make it look easy. I, I definitely don't think he was, you know under doing his performance level. Like, he was going to the top end of his ability as well for what was available out there um it's a bloody hard wave to surf and it's a really hard wave to make look good uh and yeah unfortunately we just had two guys in the same heat that were doing both of that yeah and i mean john's i think it was a 993 like that's as good as you could have possibly surfed that wave you could tell even he was surprised when he finished that wave he's like holy shit did i just actually do that like the obviously first big turn and then that like under the lip snaps or I don't even know how I'd describe it but he like came up super late to that one section and hit it and projected and kept his speed somehow which is so like making the maneuvers one thing but keeping your speed when you're coming down that fast and that hard all the way to the flats and then bottom turning into the next turn like that was unbelievable surfing and could have been a 10 in my eyes I think most regular humans legs would have just shattered into a thousand pieces with the g-forces that he's pulling off the bottom it's um yeah a very it's a it's equipment and body and wave just aligned perfectly i think yeah a shame a real shame that him and philippe had to end up in that quarter that sucked that sucked as well yeah and that's just the thing about you know professional surfing i guess is not all the draws are going to be equal in terms of talent on one side or the other. And I think we saw that in this event. There was one side of the draw that was pretty well stacked compared to the other. And we ended up with a really interesting final on that point. I mean, Felipe versus Callum Robinson. You just you wouldn't have called that one before the event. And frankly, I had Felipe, like I said, going into that final. And I was absolutely terrified. Because Callum, in the, I, I had uh, Jack Robinson as well in the heat prior against Callum. And I was like, okay, you know, it's a little right. Like, it, there's kind of an air win. Jack will just, you know, make something happen here. And Callum was just picking waves that were 
three times as good as Jack's, and he'd never even surfed the place before. And then pretty much the same exact thing happened in the final. Felipe's waves were terrible. Callum's waves were, like, perfect, like, standing up all the way through, and he looked really good. But Felipe, his talent level is just so incredibly high that he can take a wave like that first wave he surfed where he surfed it all the way through to the inside from out the back. probably was on the wave for, like, 40 seconds. And not once did it look like a half-decent wave, and he still got a 6. And then he got that 8 for, you know, doing a few decent turns out the back and then doing an alley-oop to an air reverse in, like, a really, really tricky section through the, like, inside. He's just, he's a freak by all means, and that is the only way that he won that heat because Callum's waves were so much better. Yeah, that's how Philippe beat Ethan as well. Like, Ethan's, uh, Philippe's first wave against Ethan is absolute just dog shit. And he still manages to get a six out of it. So there, it's it's game on because he can win the heat on his next wave with a nine. And he knows that. Uh, and it's, it's obviously easier said than done, but he can pull that shit out of his hat at, at any given moment. So it just makes suffocating those, those types of surfers so, so difficult. But Callum, it's almost like what you don't want to hear, that you are on the better waves. Um, but I thought he was, and I could have easily had Callum with the best scoring ride in that final. Like, for me, they both, they both had eights. Like, Callum's wave was excellent. And he just obviously just needed one more, but that's the thing. Like, the heats don't go forever. And that's where Philippe, starting with that score, just gives him the perfect foundation just to go on from there. Uh, And whether you need a six and a four, like you needed against Ethan to close it out, or an excellent ride and maybe something else like you needed to do in the final, it's just starting so strong like that is, damn, it's hard to beat. It's really, really hard to beat. Yeah, I found Rincon excruciating to watch mainly because of the people that I picked like I picked Carissa against Tyler and what a fucking mistake that was holy shit talking about being on the better waves and surfing them a lot better as well like what Tyler did to Carissa or in comparison to Carissa in that heat like I've never seen Carissa look that off look that lost look that like I mean, it was really like kind of like a sad performance, like just seeing how frustrating it must have been for her. And I think a lot of that was um, probably board choice. She rode an EPS out in 20 mile an hour offshore winds, which I don't know whose call that was, but they should probably be fired. And she she just looked like she did not know how to surf. It was crazy. I reckon it was probably 40 knots, which I think is the same as miles. It was so strong offshore. Like it was next level. Um... And, yeah, I mean, she just looked a little rushed on the wave. Um, Rincon is a really tricky, annoying little wave to surf. Um, And you can kind of think it's running away from you, but the best turn is probably behind you. And I think that's what Callum actually did really well. Like, you see him putting his majors on top of one another, not chasing it down the line. And, yeah, Carissa just never really looked super relaxed, did she? She just always looked like she was chasing something that was never quite there. And, uh, yeah, Tyler, on the other hand, just, man, she deserved winner. She, apart from her first heat, she just absolutely commanded respect from, you know, round three onwards and just looked like, you know, the form surfer, which I haven't really seen that from her in a a little while. So, I mean, she was good in Hawaii, uh, particularly at backdoor, but, you know, you don't really get to see how a surfer's looking. You kind of more see, like, their courage and, and, and what kind of you know, heat they've got to pack when there's an eight-foot backdoor wave coming at you. But to see her, like, on the rail again was, like, 
That was super, super impressive. So, yeah, well done to her. And um, first time ringing the bell, I must say I'm surprised at that. I fully expected them to say, four-time Bells Beach champion (laughs) Tyler Wright. But, yeah, that was her first one, which is kind of mind-blowing to me. Yeah, agreed. I mean, just obviously she's from Australia. She's a regular footer. She's pretty powerful. So it all adds up. I'm glad she finally got one. Uh, I From that first wave in the final, though, like she, I think she got a nine or almost a nine on her first wave, and she just looked so connected to her board and to the wave, and she was just drawing like kind of like really smooth lines, smooth arcs, whereas Carissa looked kind of fidgety and like she was like rushing, like you said. And Yeah, I, it's tough because I still, like there's still some parts of Tyler surfing that kind of like irk me a little bit. Like the, the little half layback thing she does, it just gets old pretty quick, I think, and the way that she kind of like bends at her at her waist on some turns when it does feel like she's kind of like just kind of like forcing turns as opposed to like fitting them in really nicely like a like a Steph or when she's surfing well like a Carissa but that said like she was clearly clearly the best surfer in this heat and throughout the event so deserved winner yeah I'm, I'm with you on that I think sometimes the uh, the like everyone's got a turn they like to do to try and get the most out of the judges and and for Tyler it's definitely that layback but I think in this event she she put that layback in sections that were well deserved of of big scores you know I think she would usually tend to put that turn a bit further out on the face and that's probably where for me anyway I'd watch her against other surfers and kind of think that maybe sometimes the scores were a bit more favorable than what I would have had them. But this event where she was putting that layback and like driving through on her back foot, she's, I think she's definitely, um, you know, stepped it up, which you, you know, you have to do. So yeah, kudos to her. I think that she was deserving of yeah every score this in this entire event. So yeah, pretty scary for her to get a big win going straight into Margs. I know, God. And now the uh, the season rankings have obviously sh- shifted a little bit on both sides. So on the women, we have Carissa Moore up to first, still without an event win this year. Tyler and Brisa are tied for second right now. Uh, Brisa was obviously in first going into this event, and she made the semis. So she is holding strong up into that little top little pocket, which is impressive. And then going down the list, you know, after I think that second or third of no, after the second event this year, we saw a ton of female rookies. I think all of them were actually above the cut line, and now there's only one. So ultimately, Stace, your your prediction at the beginning of the year is kind of coming to fruition. We're seeing now that the yeah the rookies just don't have the uh, stamina to keep up with these veterans in these waves that they've been surfing for the past ten plus years. My original call is coming true. <clears throat> Our re-recorded version, where I basically said they were all going to make it, is now looking not not so true. Um, but look, there is a really, really crazy little bunch there between sort of 8 to 13. Uh, if you drop out, a lot of those surfers are holding, um, a, a, what is it on the women's tour? A 17th, I think, a dead last. Um, it tightens everything up so much. So going into Margaret River, oh boy, it's gonna be, it's gonna be so hectic. Uh, there's gonna be, you know, your Steph Gilmore's, your Sally Fitzgibbons, your Courtney Conlogs. They're all kind of floating in and around those numbers. It's it's game on. Like it's uh, it's gonna be hectic. And the craziest thing is, is they're all gonna surf against each other in round three. There'll be no, oh, this person's gonna need to get a semi or whatever. Like they could knock the person out that's right behind them that early in the draw because the women's draw is so small 
and you know your number one seed will be against number 18 and then work your way into the middle and that's where those battles will happen so it's going to be very very exciting i couldn't agree more and yeah like like you said i mean steph gilmore is tied for ninth right now so either she or courtney conlog would be the first surfer to go if and when somebody from below the cut line jumps over it and also, like you said, Sally Fitzgibbons is below that cut line, so she's probably the one real veteran that is not currently going to make it. Um, and then you got, you know, Gabby Bryan, Isabella Nichols, Luana Silva, Moana Jones, who is not going to be in the event, presumably, Molly Picklum, Betty Lucicura Johnson, all the way down. Um, so those people all need, like, a really good result, probably definitely a quarter, probably a semi or better. Um, they're all capable of it, I will say. Betty Lou and um, Gabriella are both from Hawaii and Luana as well. And I think Hawaii and Western Australia have a lot of similarities in terms of how the water kind of moves and feels. And, you know, you have the wind and everything as well. So, I mean, it sounds cliche, but anything can happen in this last event. I will say, though, looking at the numbers that, and you'll be happy to hear this, I think everyone from seventh to first is probably in the clear, just because Malia Manuel, she's number seven. She's got 17,700 points. And the next person down, India Robinson, has 14,700 points. So I just don't see more than three people jumping from below the cut line to over 17,000 points. So I think Malia is safe. But those those last three, India Robinson, Stephanie Gilmore, and Courtney Conlog, are definitely in a precarious position. They definitely are, but the servers like Stephanie and Courtney have sort of the most to gain because they're throwing away such small scores. So, yeah, watch this space. It's going to be very, very entertaining. But I think we probably can't go any further talking about the cut without asking you. Actually, I know what you think of the cut. You're very pro-cut, and surf media in general is very pro-cut. But did you want to... uh, throw any last two bobs in before we head into the final cut event it is technically an unpopular opinion because we did a poll on our instagram and only 18 percent of surf fans are for the cut which i find fascinating i know i talked with buck about it on last week's episode of the drop um and i could talk about it for days but yeah i think that the cut is the best thing to happen to surfing since the brazilian storm it just it opens up so many new avenues of opportunity it makes the year so much more interesting to watch like it is it's, it's honestly kind of hard for me to see the downsides i am somewhat sympathetic toward the surfers in some regards i understand that you know it's a financial hardship which then can turn itself into a bit of a mental and physical health hardship as well but i just think that as far as progressing the sport and moving it forward and keeping it financially viable it's yeah it's hard for me to see the other side in that regard so where do you stand i think it's so deep that there's just so many layers to it but we'll try and have a crack at getting through it all i think the first thing that really stands out to me from what i understand is that the surfers agreed to this uh, you know, whether or not they all did, obviously the surfers that came on tour last year, they didn't get a chance to really vote on it because they weren't on tour yet. Um, but it's been in discussions for a while. There's been facelifts on the cards for, you know, the final five talks of the mid-year cut, all these things like the sports always evolving. So this isn't something that's just been announced last week. And I did get that feeling a little bit coming into Bells that 
potentially it was a bit knee-jerky, the whole thing, um, with petitions being signed and, and, and stuff like that, particularly the options that the surfers were given when they were signing the petitions. Um, you could either A, not turn up to Margaret River, B, disagree with the cut and not show up, uh, or still show up at Margaret River, but look to amend the tour next year, or C, um, I think it was undecided actually, it was an option as well, but you were just sort of wanting to talk more about it. I just don't see how, you know, turning your back on the tour is really going to solve anything. Um, and I was a little little surprised to, to see that because quite clearly it's all relative on your your personal position on the tour right now. Like, and you can see that with who signed it. So um, in that sense, it was just from a business sense to me, it just seemed like a little bit of like going back on your word. And I'm just not the biggest fan of that. But getting back to the flip side, Carlos Munez, Luca Messinas, um, anyone that's from, say, a smaller part of the world or a third world country or something like that, a Rio Waida, they make the tour. The impact it has on their life is exponential. So to be only doing five events, you're not really getting too much bang for your buck there. Uh, and I do think in that sense, a more diverse tour is a good thing. So having more numbers on there, um, it, it can't be a bad thing. It also means more work for people like me. Um, you know, I'm speaking to coaches down there and I'm not um, on the tour full time this year, so I'm not going to miss out a great deal. But it's... Um, you know, they're looking at having going into the year with three surfers and walking into the rest of the year with one. That one surfer probably isn't going to pay for that coach off their own back to go and do the rest of the year with them. They go in with a split deal, you know. So it all, it, there are very many ripple effects to it. Um, but I did get a quick chat with the uh, the chief and commander, Elo, down there at the comp. Uh, and he was surprisingly charming. Uh, he, he whisked me off my feet. That's surpri- That's not surprising. Surprising when all you've ever seen of him is on Instagram. Um, no, he was he was great to have a chat with, and you know he he we I got straight into it with him. Like you know, I didn't know how long I was going to get to chat with him for, and we had a good good bro down, and he he laid it all out, and I respect his position too. Like he's on the front line trying to broker these deals. Um, he's got a vision for the sport. Um, you know whether you like it or not, he's going after that. And I've got a level of respect for that. His letter that he wrote was just like, holy fuck. I don't think I've ever seen anyone be that straightforward in the surf industry in my whole life. The surf industry is so well known for yeah, 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 nah, 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 nah. <laughs> and he just went, this is what we're fucking doing. <laughs> and if you want to chat about it, we can chat about it. But in no uncertain terms, will we be changing our stance? And I just, I had to give that a little golf clap. I was like, holy <laughs> Christ, this guy means business. Um, and again, I, I, I appreciate his position. So I, yeah, it's a, yeah, it was a fucking shitstorm to be honest with you, but I think it's all rolling forward by the look of it. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. I don't exactly feel like I know what that means about your stance, but, uh, it seems, <laughs> seems like you're, you're seeing both sides of it at the very least, which is good. And there's also like, I mean, to, to the surfer's point, like there are some, let's call them like anomalies, you know, that, 
people who shouldn't probably be falling off, but will. And I think that that's always going to be the case um, with this new setup. But a few of those names, you know, again, we talked about Joao Chianca. Everybody seems to think that he should have a spot on tour, and I tend to agree. But at the end of the day, we've seen that happen to surfers before who, you know, surfed really well throughout the year, but just got unlucky with matchups. I think Ricardo Christie is a pretty common person to bring up in that regard. And then, um, you know, you look back to last year and you got Jack Robinson, who, had there been a mid-year cut, wouldn't have made it, wouldn't have won his event in Mexico and wouldn't be on tour today. And then, you know, we also talked this year about Stephanie Gilmore being right there, seven-time world champion, obviously hasn't had the best start to her year, but, um, you know, Steph is so good that she should be on tour for the next decade plus, so... It's interesting. Um, at the end of the day, the WSL does have some wild cards to give out, and that's going to be really interesting on the men's side because we obviously have Gabriel Medina taking sort of a sabbatical this year. We presume he's going to be back next year, which means he'd get one of those wild cards. And then you also have injured surfers like Yago Dora, who's been on tour for a few years and actually cracked the top 10 next year. You have to think he's in a pretty good position to get one of those. But you also have some new rookies like uh, Carlos Munoz and Liam O'Brien, who are just probably going to get shafted with this whole deal. And that's really, really unfortunate. But at the end of the day, I don't think we can make decisions based on individuals. I think we need to make decisions based on the sport as a whole. And I think the sport's going in a great direction. And I think that's where I don't have a clear answer because what is a great direction? Do more eyeballs actually matter? Yes, I I know that means more money, more broadcast dollars. What do you mean? But... If we don't have more eyeballs and we don't make more money, this thing all falls apart. The only reason this thing exists is because we have a billionaire benefactor who he and I think especially his wife love surfing, love the idea of surfing and don't want it to die. So they're propping it up. Maybe it's a bit of a tax write off for them or whatever. But at the end of the day, like if we don't figure this shit out, it disappears. And that is the last thing that anybody wants. So people can complain about it all they want, but they're not paying anything for this. They're not keeping it alive. So until they want to start basically putting their own money into it, their their opinions don't even really get to matter. And to a certain degree, the surfers don't either because they're complaining about something that is basically a charity to them. And yeah, I don't know. I just, if you look at the big picture, like I get it, mental health, physical health, I'm sure it's strenuous and, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, this this thing doesn't exist if we don't have somebody backing it. So we need to get it financially viable because that person's not going to exist forever. Bravo. No, you're right. You're spot on. I just feel like there's this massive disconnect between competitive surfing and the surfing experience for the general punter. And I just don't think that's ever going to change. And I'm not that hopeful that it will. Getting back to like who is not going to make the cut and how they get there, though, to, to your point, um, Jack Robinson needed a result going into Mexico. I argue that if this result was in the fourth or fifth event of the year, that Zen motherfucker would have pulled it out where he needed to then and there. Whether it was Mexico or whether it was Margaret River, whatever it would have been, I reckon he would have done it. And the same thing goes for Jachianka. He could get 17 points in every heat for the rest of the year. He's going to be this year's Ricardo Christie. And there's always one. So it doesn't matter whether it's five events or ten. So I guess I'm on your side with, with those two statements. There it is. The cusp stands united. I love it. <laughs> no, not quite. I, I could change my I could change my hat tomorrow, but no, it's it's a funny one, and it 
It's it's all good talking point. I think if you want to talk about season long nar- narratives, you would have never had this much of uh, eyeballs and attention and articles written on stabmag.com if it weren't for the cut around bells. So, you know, I think Elo would definitely be of the 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 camp that uh, you know any press is good press, and they're certainly getting a lot of press. Yeah, I guess I have a bit of a conflict of interest there as well. You know, <laughs> one. One thing was with uh, Bells was exciting because of the betting, maybe, and then this is exciting because we get so many things to talk about on you know our website, and people seem to be really engaged in the conversation. We actually posted just yesterday a letter from a reader, and he's a healthcare lawyer in Florida who works for a nonprofit, and he was totally pro surfers. He was like, "No, look, we need to be thinking about this." He he basically was treating it like they are the workers of the WSL, which I don't think that's a perfect way of explaining their relationship to the WSL, but yeah, he was treating it sort of like a unionization, workers' rights versus the big corporation sort of thing, and he he made some good points, I guess. I don't agree with a lot of them, but a lot of people seem to, and yeah, it's just, it's been awesome to be able to even debate stuff like this, and, and I, I am curious, because we talked uh, about, there was supposed to be a meeting at the Bells event prior to the finals day, and Unfortunately, after after we got the actual letters, like the petition and Elo's response leaked, I think that there was somebody said, hey, look, if any of this stuff gets out, you know, somebody's in trouble, blah, blah, blah. So we haven't been able to get much intel on what happened in that meeting. Do you happen to know anything that was said or done or any agreements or arrangements? No, I left by that point, which is a shame because they never invite the coaches to the surfers meetings. But on this occasion, they did. And so I was bloody spewing because, you know. Wow. I know. So, nah, nothing for you, unfortunately. But, um, I, I, like, Elo's response, I think, was pretty straightforward. Uh, I don't, I can't really see too much changing out of that. And you know what? Again, after chatting with him, he's walking around that event site on eggshells. But he doesn't give a fuck. It's actually... Like I said, it's definitely respectable uh, the attitude he's he's having. He's it's it's not phasing him at all. He he knows that he's not going to be everyone's friend, and he's not out there trying to be everyone's friend. And um, I think yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely what's needed sometimes. Fuck, that's so hard, man. I just went through like on a much smaller scale, but a similar experience. Just being the um, the judge of Stab Highway and having to look people in the eye and tell them that what they just did wasn't good enough it didn't it didn't tick the box for what we were asking for in x y or z challenge and they were fucking off me dude it was like it was really bad like it was like kind of this like weird line between they're like sort of like saying fuck you as a joke but they're actually like deep down pretty serious and yeah it's it's gnarly to have a large group of people and in this case surfers just really mad at you all the time so yeah kudos to eric to holding the line because it is not easy well let's just say he was hanging out with kaya and baron a hell of a lot <laughs> oh they're they're like his um yeah his little like prize pony he's like hey look at how good this mid-year cut is look how great it's been for these people's careers <laughs> meanwhile moana jones is just sitting back in hawaii like what the fuck's going on classic okay so um 
anything else about bells i know i mean let's just hear it from you like your your surfer went in she made a heat and then she had a heat against carissa and didn't lose by a large margin how was that um it was fun she had to come through the trials like we said that was um almost it's kind of like a bit of a leg up in a way you know you're the only surfer that surfed the bank in the heats and i think it showed um particularly in a round two heat at Winky when the conditions were kind of a bit wonky and down the end, like, we were feeling pretty comfortable, you know. A few of the men were up there saying, you know, let's call this off. And usually I, I probably would be in that camp, but I was sort of looking at the lineup going, oh, Alyssa's already surfed a couple of heats out here when it looks like this. You know, I think she'd be a good chance here. And Yeah, she was really competitive, I thought. It was, it was great to see. She didn't look out of place at all. And, um, look, I know it seems like you can say this now in hindsight but she definitely got the jump on Carissa at the start of her heat and I think unfortunately it was a bit of a missed opportunity because um, look she was on some pretty good waves uh, if you go back and look at the tape uh, Carissa has a 7.1 turn and that's just the brilliance of the champions um, they are able to pull that out any which way and it's obviously easy to say this from the safety of a podcast but um, you know I think Carissa needed that wave more than just the heat win itself. I think that that one individual turn really set her up for that run in the event because I don't really think she looked that good uh, up until that one point. So, yeah, it's just one of those ones. She had the turning point, and it was in a heat against Alyssa. But, yeah, I thought Alyssa did, did really well, and, yeah, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a great event for her. And I was stoked that she got to surf a heat at Bells because, you know, running down those stairs is pretty special for any surfer. It is tricky, though, like when you go from this event into Margaret River, like I, I feel like it's just too much of the same, you know, unless you're surfing the box or North Point or whatever in the event, like I would just love to see a little bit more differentiation in the front half of the tour. Cause we also have sunset, big slopey, right. And yeah, I just feel like it's uh that that's maybe one contention that I would get behind is just adding a little bit more variety to the first half of the tour. If you're going to make a cut, without having, you know, a proper rippable left on tour. That seems kind of weird to me. All right, so we've got one event left before the mid-year cut, and we're going to talk about Margs in a separate pod that's going to drop later this week on the backside of the drop. So you can look for that on Friday. Stacey and I are going to go through our picks, forecast, and pretty much everything you need to know about that event. But before we leave, I do just want to talk a little bit more about some of the the bets that I went through in this event. Again, I'm really new to betting. Um, I'm using a site called betonline.ag. They are a supporter of the podcast, so thank you. And yeah, I actually had a pretty good event, but I almost didn't because I, I was basically I was doing really well through the opening rounds. I was up a few hundred dollars. I was picking a lot of underdogs that did really well. I think I went like eight for 11 with underdogs, which had, you know, obviously good odds and they were paying out well. Jacko win. I had a Joao win and everything was looking good. And then finals day, I just absolutely shit the bed. Rincon tore me apart. I lost $50 Jack Robinson, uh, over Callum. I lost $50 Carissa Moore over Sally. And yeah, it was just absolutely gutted. But thankfully, Harry Mann hooked us up with a bit of a tip on Felipe Toledo, and I picked him 
I put $40 on him at, I think, plus 700 at the very beginning of the event to win the event outright, and that netted me 280 so that brought me back up after falling apart on finals day. And I came out $337 on top. Um, the only other event that I've really bet on this year was Pipeline, and I picked Moana Jones as the event winner early on at also a pretty high price, I think like plus 800. And overall, I think I was like $440 up on that one. So I'm having a pretty good year on the betting, but it's primarily off picking those, uh, those event winners. That's where your kind of big payouts are going to come from versus the heat by heat is more just chipping away. Um, you know, that you might have a, a big one here and there where you pick an underdog and put a decent amount of money on them. But for me, it's really about being smart about picking those event winners. So yeah, if you want to get in on our tips for Margs, you can come back for next episode and hopefully we can help win you guys some money as well. I think we owe Harry Mann a, a bit of a, a bit of a thanks there. He was a uh, great help in, um, you know, picking some sort of uh, underdogs and uh, event champion with the men. Don't really think anyone saw Tyler Wright coming, so that would have that would have made the bookies happy. That one, um, so you know that's just that's just the way it goes. Um, but hey, look, I can't let this pod go without giving another local, my dear. Um, I guess what should I call him? Um, host, Mister Kale Bell Warren. He went absolutely bonkers on the stairs at Bells, and he got a second and a third among a few other minor placings amongst his team, which he'd aptly named the Wombats. So, well done, Mr. CB. Uh, proud of you, mate. And if you want to hear more of Kale, which um, some people do, some people don't, you can go over and uh, check him out on, on his podcast channel, which you can find via his Instagram, The Lip Podcast, which we are friends of the show. Uh, and, yeah... That's just coach dreams right there, Mikey. So tell me, like, for a scenario like that where he's not being hired as a full-time coach to travel around the world with these people, he's being hired as a local expert, how would a deal like that look in most cases? Is that a percentage of uh, the event earnings that he would be asking for, or is he asking for a flat fee from surfers? And just to break it down, I know he was coaching Callum. Who else was he coaching? He was coaching Callum, Ethan... Tully Wiley, who won the trials. Uh, he's coaching Isabella Nichols, who he's done a lot of work with over the years. And he'd also done a bit of prep work and event work with Owen Wright as well. So he had a pretty big team. Okay, so how would a deal work like that? Like, Do you happen to know if he was off percentages or just flat rate with these people? Kale's situation is a little unique, uh, so I think it's kind of pointless to go right into the details. But... It would best serve you to charge a flat rate plus a percentage. Now, the first place uh, prize money this year is $80,000 before the cut, and after the cut, it's $100,000. Um, so, yeah, obviously, I'll start at the top and go down to the bottom. The bottom's 10, 10 for last, and most coaches charge 10%. Whether you were coaching Taj Burrow 10 years ago and you're John Gannon or you're Phil McNamara with Mick Fanning or, you know, fucking anyone else up and after that, it's it's always aimed around that number that's sort of 10%. Um, I'd say back in the day, those gents were probably on a bit better of a chunk uh, of an annual salary, especially given the surfers they were working with and the annual salaries they were achieving 
back in the day. Uh, this day and age, you'd be much more looking like getting probably three surfers to get that same annual wage. But then you've got three surfers that you're also taking 10% off the top of as well. So good business to get into if anyone's keen. But with a mid-year cut coming up, you'd want to uh, you want to make sure your surfers are inside that cut line. Yeah, choose your ponies wisely. So just for context, um, second place on the first half of the tour pays 45 grand. Third place pays 25 grand. So you take 10% of each of those and you're looking at seven grand US pre-tax, which is not a bad week of work for most people, I would say. Um, so yeah, well done to Kale. Well done to all his surfers. And um, yes, is he going to West Oz? Are you going to West Oz? I am not going to West Oz, and I doubt that he would be going to West Oz. Um, I guess you can't really mention Kale Bell Warren without mentioning Adam Robinson. They've set up a coaching program down there. That's why it's a little harder to comment um, because they're running like a full-time business. Uh, it's not. It's it's a bit of everything. It's sports admin. It's coaching, and you know, so they got a lot on their plate. Uh, whereas you know, someone like myself. Um, I just work for myself and a lot of the other coaches do. So um, I don't think that Adam and Kale can just ship up and get over to West Oz. Um, although, you know, maybe if they got the call up, if Ethan Ewan calls, um, you definitely answer. Yeah, well, isn't that the beauty of there being two of them, right? So that if one needs to fuck off and go help out somebody over here or over there, then the other one holds it down. I would imagine. I don't know how their whole business works. but Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I wouldn't think so, um, particularly if you look at a surfer like Ethan. He's he's well well known for sort of picking apart local local um, brains. So I wouldn't be too surprised if he was do the same thing over there. So with that being said, do you know if uh, if Jake Patterson is going to be helping any surfers out? In oh, WA? there's absolutely no chance that Jake is not turning up on the stairs. Is that a double negative? Does that work? But yeah, he'll be there. <laughs> okay, good to know. I think maybe we'll try to pick his brain for some picks going into that event. We'll see if we can get a hold of him. Oh, mate, he loves a slash on the punt. So uh, yes, yeah, he'll be he'll be more than happy to uh, beautiful to help us out there. All right, well, let's look forward to that. Again, we have another episode of Stab Cusp dropping later this week in like three or four days, hopefully. And we're going to talk all about Margaret's, all the stats, all our picks, and everything that you need to know to make some smart bets on betonline.ag. Mm-hmm.